What's the reason for church? Does the church have a mission? And if so, what is it? In this message, listen as Pastor Chris Chadwick preaches from the Bible on the mission of the church, pursuing the lost. Romans chapter 10 in your Bible this morning, the book of Romans chapter 10. I'm glad that you've made it today on what I have termed the coldest day of the year. I don't know how many of the rest of you feel that way, but I woke up. There was ice on my car. Took like 30 seconds for my defroster to mail it or to melt it away. And I'll just be honest with you, I wasn't happy about that. How many of you, you like the cold weather like that? Like, how many of you today's weather wasn't even cold to you? Anybody like that today? All right, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Church, look at these people. Stay away from them. No, I'm teasing. I'm messing with you. Thank the Lord for it. It's nice. It makes us enjoy summer a lot longer and to pray for it. Um, my daughter lives in Hawaii, and so I got tired of the cold weather. I'm going there tomorrow. And so um, I, uh, I, uh, I really am. I'm going to go see my daughter and excited about that. Um, pumped to, that you are here today. I'll be back next Sunday and looking forward to that. Um, Today we're going to start a series of messages. Uh, matter of fact, bring up the uh, slide, the theme slide of the year that we had. If you weren't here on Sunday night, our theme this year is Pursue, taken from Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14, that says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go online and listen to the, the service that, that we had last Sunday night. Uh, but here's what often happens in our life, and here's the idea behind the theme, uh, is that we get to a place of comfort in our walk with God, in our Christian life are like, okay, I'm good. I know this. I know this. I know this. And I've got rid of these major areas of sin in my life. I've got rid of this thing. I've got rid of this thing. Uh, I don't cuss out my husband anymore. Uh, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not going to the casino uh, anymore. So I'm, I'm good. I, I'm good. Um, and uh, no, we're still, for the duration of our lives here on this earth as followers of Jesus, we're to pursue Christ-likeness. So last year might have been an amazing spiritual year for you. You're not done. Let me say it again. Last year might have been an amazing spiritual year for you, but you're not done. Why? We're called to pursue Christ and just keep pursuing. Well, in light of the theme this year, we're beginning a series this morning entitled Pursuing the Lost. Now, this week, you can bring up that slide. This week, every year at Canyon Ridge, starts what we call Missions Month. It's four weeks out from uh, Super Bowl Sunday, what we call Super Goal Sunday, where we'll talk about every week uh, for four weeks um, some aspect of evangelism, either here in America, around the world, and we'll talk about giving financially so that people all over the world can hear the gospel. Um, you say you, you're going to talk about giving for four months? Yeah, and, and I'm kind of excited about it. Uh, why? Because Christians are called to, listen to me, live by faith. One of the marks of a believer is somebody who says, uh, I, I'm not just getting out of this what I can get out of it. I'm going to live by faith. It's a Bible command that just shall live by faith. Jesus said in the book of Hebrews, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you are here this morning 
I'm going to say two things. If you are here this morning and you came and you're not sure about Jesus and you're not sure about eternal life and you're trying to figure some things out and you're trying to, you're, you're wondering about those things and, and you're maybe, some folks might even say they're on a journey to Christ um, and you want every one of your questions answered, I say this with as much humility as I possibly can as, as a natural born skeptic. You're never going to have all of your questions answered. You have to come to God by faith. Doesn't mean we don't have answers to questions, uh, but the Bible is a history book, and we define the probabilities of history or the realities of history based on preponderances of evidences. That, that's, how we, that's how we know something is accurate. You know, George Washington was the American president, not because anybody in this room saw him, but based on the preponderance of the evidence. We know Jesus is the Son of God on the authority of the Bible based on the preponderance of the evidence, but there might be some questions that you still have to have answered, and, they will, and we want to answer those, but there will be things that by faith you go, okay, based on the preponderance of the evidence, even though this question isn't answered, I still am going to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Faith number one. Faith number two, uh, aspect of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking to us there. He's talking to believers that you and I still have to live by faith. Let me say that again. You and I have to live by faith. Now, we're, we're all Westerners in the room by and large. You might have a few people from uh, maybe Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, stuff like that. But by Westerners, one of the things that we covet more than anything else is stability and security. Come on, am I wrong here? That's why people get good jobs. They want to get good jobs. We covet stability and security. Well, sometimes stability and security are in opposition to living by faith. And so, you say, are you, you wanting us to be unstable? No, we have a church staff for that. <laughs> no, but, but, but what, what we want to convey here is, is that God often wants to attack your, attack your comfort zone so that you can learn to trust in Him because conformity to Jesus and change uh, in any area, always happen outside of our comfort zone. Change never happens inside your comfort zone. It always happens outside of your comfort zone. And so, the just shall live by faith. So, when we talk about giving to missions financially, or maybe even going, or the discussion that we'll have, or the, not really the discussion, uh, the message that I'll share this morning, it, it's going to require a little bit of stepping out of your comfort zone and living by faith. Living by faith isn't just a financial, doesn't just have financial implications. It has daily implications. It has career implications. It has marriage implications. It has the way that you're married implications. I mean, it affects every area of our life. And I would submit to you that a world that needs the gospel is looking for genuine Christians who are real about living by faith. Not people who talk about it. It's, it's like a dude with a dozen donuts that's 400 pounds overweight telling you how to work out and do pull-ups. He might give all the right information, but you're not believing him. Why? Because his, his body belies his message. 
And the, the body of the believer is the life of faith. And what gives authority and power to our message is the life of faith that we live. And we read about that in the book of Romans chapter 10. If you found Romans chapter 10, verse number 13 is where we will begin our text. So in four weeks, we will have Super Goal Sunday, and we're going to ask you to be praying. I'm asking you to, to be praying today, all the way through February 12th, um, when the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I don't know who they're going to play, but they're going to win. And, and you say, how do you know that? By faith. Um, but during, I don't know who's going, I'm just teasing, but during the Super Bowl, uh, on Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to be asking you to pray, what would God have you and your family do for the cause of global missions? And I'm praying that some of you this year will really step out and give by faith what God would have you do. You say, well, if I give by faith, what will happen? Well, if you do what the Lord tells you to do, He's going to take care of you above and beyond what you could ever think or dream possible. That doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire overnight. You're just going to look at it and go, I gave this much, and, and this is where I'm at, and the cause of Christ was advanced, and praise His holy name. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come, but that's coming on February the 12th. But before we get to messages about that, we need to look at the truth that we find in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 to 15, where the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, is one of the first verses in all the Bible that I ever memorized. I can still remember being about a six-year-old kid and uh, uh, being in a, a, a super church or Sunday school class, maybe I was even five, and memorizing that verse that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a, it's a lifetime verse for me that I've known for 45, 46 years and it still means, it probably means more to me today than it did when I first memorized it. And I want you to notice in our text this morning, as we think of the concept and the realities of pursuing the lost, I want you to notice firstly this morning in verse number 13, the simplicity of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel. For who, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, shall be saved. Now, every religion of the world, other than biblical Christianity, centers on this one reality. You have to do something to earn your salvation. There's something that has to be done in order for you to have a relationship with God. People would say things, maybe you, you have to go to confession, last rites, baptism, uh, you got to do those things and a few others, take communion, and if you do all of those things, maybe you'll get to heaven. It's religions in the world that teach things like that. It's religions in the world that say you have to go on a mission trip, like right out of college or right out of high school or your freshman year after college, and if you do that, maybe. Or you have to marry a certain person if you do that, maybe. Or you have to pray a certain direction every day, and then if you do all of these things, maybe. And they have a laundry list of things uh, that, that have to be done, and if you do all of these things, then, then maybe you'll be good to go. Maybe you'll be good to go. But, but you're always living in a little 
little bit of doubt. You're always living in a lot of fear, wondering if your eternal destiny is settled and if you've been good enough to be able to earn your eternal salvation or solidify your eternal destination. But that's not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity isn't you have to do these things. Biblical Christianity is this, everything that you need has already been done by Jesus Christ. It's been done. The big difference, do versus done. Do versus done. Jesus finished all the requirements for your salvation when he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And the Bible says these literal words that his blood washes away all your sin. Every one of them. The Bible could be summed up in four words. Now, they're a huge concept, but four words. Four words. Creation, fall, judgment, restoration or redemption. Use either one. Creation, fall, judgment, restoration. God created the world in six literal days. Not long after that, we don't know how long, but not long after that, man chose to disobey God, to go his own way, to do his own thing, and man fell. And because man fell, there was judgment or there is judgment on this earth. And the judgment is this, the judgment, there's a lot of immediate judgments, but the the massive judgment is that now when you die, you will spend eternity in hell separated from God if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Matter of fact, when the fall happened, the judgment was you'll spend eternity in hell separated from God. 2,000-ish years later, Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived for 33 and a half years, perfect, sinless Son of God, and was crucified for the sin of mankind and restored man or gave man the opportunity to be restored to a relationship with God, restored to how it was originally supposed to be with God at the point of creation. And we are restored to a relationship with God by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for the sin of mankind. And anyone who will put their faith and trust in Christ alone is restored or guaranteed salvation. And here's what Paul says about it. Anyone who calls on the name of Christ will be saved or will be restored. So four words, creation, fall, judgment, restoration. You see, Jesus came to this earth with one fundamental purpose, and that was to see people restored to a relationship with God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You say Jesus came to make the world better. No, Jesus came to seek those who don't know him. That's why Jesus came. Now, in doing so, he makes the world better. And there's a lot of implications there. But Jesus came to seek the lost. John chapter 3, verse number 17. The Bible says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You say, well, I've had Christians condemn me in my life. Okay, well, they're not Jesus. Jesus didn't come to condemn you. God is the ultimate judge. Jesus came that you might be saved. Jesus lives on this earth, lived on this earth and died so that you could have eternal life. John chapter 10 
in verse number 10, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John chapter 12, verse number 47 says, I am come not to judge the world, but to save the world. And here's the reality. There is a simplicity to the gospel that we see in verse number 13, that anyone who calls on the name of Christ will be saved. No, it's not just this simple, like, let me say a few words, Jesus, save me. No, no, it's a true calling and dependence and faith in Christ alone. A calling of dependence and faith in Christ alone. Let me illustrate it this way. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Here's the biblical analogy. You're on the broad road and you're thinking your own thing. You're going your own way. You're believing what you believe. And it's leading you to what the Bible calls destruction, eternal destruction. And you have to come to grips with this reality. If you reject Jesus Christ based on the authority of the Bible, you will spend eternity in hell. That's not Chris Chadwick's words. Those are the, the, the real words of Jesus. And you walk away from Christ on the broad road. You're going this direction, this direction, this direction. And then somebody comes, maybe a, a preacher in San Diego, or maybe some friend of yours at a coffee shop, or, or, or a family member at a gathering, or whatever the case may be. And they begin to tell you that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, begins to talk to you and begins to, to move on your heart. You begin to question. You begin to doubt what you've believed. And you begin to see your need for something greater than your line of thinking and greater than your way of life and greater than what you've put your trust in. And the Holy Spirit of God begins to move and work inside of you. And you realize that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that Jesus indeed did die for your sin, and that if you'll call on Him, He'll save you. Now, a lot of people believe that, but they never put their faith and trust in Him. But you, you, you understand who He is. You understand what He's done. And you understand that He'll save you. And you express sorrow over the fact that you rejected Christ. That's called repentance, and you turn and you trust in Christ alone. That's called salvation. You were trusting in yourself. Now you're trusting in only Jesus Christ to save you. You repent of the fact that you rejected Him. You repent of the fact that you've sinned against Him, and you turn and you place all of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. That's the simplicity of the gospel, and it's available to anyone in this room. No one is kept back from Jesus Christ. The gospel is simple, and the gospel is available. Now, the gospel is costly. Don't mistake and don't convolute simplicity and cheapness or simplicity and value. Something might not cost you a lot, but it might be, might be very, uh, or might not cost you anything, but it might be very, very valuable. Our church is filled with people who've served in the military, filled with people that fought in wars for, to protect our freedom. I didn't have to do that. Didn't cost me anything. But what we have is still quite valuable. Your salvation doesn't cost you anything, but it's the most valuable thing you could ever imagine. That's the gospel. Verse number 14 in our text, though, it doesn't stop there. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? I want you to understand or see in this text the silence of the gospel. How will they, 
call on somebody they've not believed? How will they believe somebody they've not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher? So, the, the author of the book of Romans, Paul, who is guided by the Spirit of God, uh, asks some questions of a perso- personal nature. How shall they call on one they've not believed? No one trusts in something they don't believe in. No one trusts in that. If you say, hey, pastor, I want you to come with me. We're going to go zip lining, and we're going to go zip lining over the Grand Canyon. Well, number one, I don't care what you do. I'm not going with you. You could have all the greatest equipment in the world. Some of you love that kind of stuff. God bless you for that. God, thank you. That's a wonderful thing. Praise God for you. You could have 42,000 feet of 12-inch steel pipe. And like, Pastor, there's no problem with it. We get on this. We're good to go. Some of you would love that. I am not going. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to watch. This is how afraid I am of heights. I'm doing better than that, by the way. I mean, I'm going to fly tomorrow in a plane in the sky. But, but this is how afraid I am of heights. You ever watch those YouTube videos of like people do amazing things and like they're doing like handstands on the top of a skyscraper and all of that? I, I just tell you right now, I get queasy when I see it. You say, well, you're not up there. I know I'm not up there, but I feel the shake and I watch my life pass right before my eyes every single time that happens. You say, what do you like? Puppy videos. That's what I like. Dog videos right here. I don't like cat videos because they're evil. Your cat wants to kill you. I don't like those kind of things. If you have a cat here today, we pray for you. We pray for God's blessing on your life, God's protection. But let me tell you, if you pass out for two days, your cat's going to eat you. We'll do a wellness check as part of the police department. We'll come. We'll see you. Be like, Pastor, wasn't he a member? He was. What happened to his arm? And there's, there, there's El Diablo over there just licking his lips. I don't like cat videos. I like puppy videos. I don't like heights. But, but you, could t- you could promise me how great that it is. I'm still not going. But if you told me, hey, Pastor, come. We're going over the Grand Canyon. I'm going to be ridiculous here. And we've made a zip line out of dental floss. Now, it's, it's plenty strong enough to hold you. It's 12 feet thick of dental floss. We guarantee you it'll hold you. I'm not going. I don't believe in it. I'm not putting my faith in that. How that shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? You don't call on things you don't believe in. You, you don't do that. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Here's the question. How will you believe in something you know nothing about? You might be affected by something you know nothing about, but you still wouldn't put your faith and trust in it. Again, I'll use a simple illustration. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, probably a thousand years ago, not probably, a thousand years ago, they didn't know gravity, they didn't know what gravity really was, it had not yet been defined, it had not yet been, been laid out, however, they were positively affected by it, but they didn't believe in it. If you went up to the average guy on the street and said, hey, do you believe in gravity, they would have just stared at you because they knew nothing about what you were speaking, though they were positively affected. Simple illustration, I guess. But that's the question Paul is saying. How will you believe in something you know nothing about? And then he finishes that line of questioning with the simple. And what we would have done is invert these questions in our line of thinking. But he's drawing emphasis to the major question. How shall they hear without a preacher? 
Now, the word preacher here is an interesting word. It's the Greek word keruso, and it means the announcer of Christ as Messiah or one who urges the reception of the gospel. The announcer of Christ as Messiah or one who urges the reception of the gospel. It's the same word that we have in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2, where the Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. How can, how can anyone be introduced to something if no one tells them? How will they hear, and Paul's talking about the gospel, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without a Caruso? How will they hear if somebody doesn't announce the Messiah and urge people to receive the Messiah? I make no bones about the reality that I want everyone in this room to come to Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to urge you to come to Christ. Now, I don't want to force you because I couldn't to begin with, but I do want to urge you. I do want to passionately persuade you to come to Jesus Christ as Messiah because Jesus changes everything about your life and about your eternity. I have no problem encouraging you and urging you to come to Christ. How will they hear without a preacher? Well, they won't. We understand that in corporate America, I am told the latest statistics of, from 2021 is that American companies, corporations, sole proprietorships all combined spent a little bit over $297 billion advertising what they sell or advertising their wares. $297 billion. That's $3 billion short of a a third of a trillion dollars. What are they doing when they do that? Now, they're not preaching Christ, but they're preaching. That's why you can't turn the TV on without seeing commercials. You turn the TV on, you turn your radio on, you see a podcast, a YouTube video, Twitter, I assume Facebook, I'm not old enough to use it yet, but Facebook, Instagram, whatever the case may be, and, and you'll see advertisement after advertisement after advertisement of people trying to get you to buy their stuff. $297 billion worth of preaching just in North America. Not worldwide, not in South America, just North America last year. Hey, come buy our stuff. Hey, come buy our stuff. You, you want to be refreshed? Drink a Coca-Cola. You want to be repulsed? Drink a Pepsi. You want to enjoy a meal? Come here. You want to in, have a nice ride? Buy this car. You want to go on a good vacation? Think about this restaurant chain. You, you want to get there quickly and easily? Fly, fly Southwest. Um, <laughs> Thinking back to our Christmas debacle that we had. Uh, I love Southwest, but whatever. Uh, you, 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 want, you want this, you want that, you want counseling, try this company. You need this, try this. You want, you want this athletic wear, or you need athletic wear, try this company. I mean, $297 billion of people saying, buy our stuff, buy our stuff, buy our stuff, buy our stuff, buy our stuff. Why? Because people understand this. Advertisers understand this. Corporations 
nations understand this, that if you will invite people to buy your product, eventually they will. And so Paul asked the question, how shall they hear without a preacher? Why do Christians tell people about Jesus? Well, because we want them to know him. Why do we want them to know him? Because he changes everything. Picture the, the depths. We, we have a couple right now in, in Ethiopia, in the continent of Africa. They'll be going to Uganda, and they'll finish their, their African missions tour in Senegal. And, and why are they going there? Because Jesus changes everything. And they're trying to introduce Jesus and help people introduce Jesus and, and ministering to Jesus. In a couple of weeks, I'll be in Colombia. My wife and I and several people from our church will be in Colombia on a missions-slash-wedding trip for one of our missionaries that's getting married. We'll be in Colombia. Ten days later, Debbie and I will leave and we'll arrive in Cambodia on a mission trip because there's people in those parts of the world who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they will not hear it if somebody doesn't go and tell them. Well, boy, that stinks for those guys. But you know, it's no different here. We're the most unchurched city in America. I could take you to places downtown, and we could visit with folks that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and never will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ if a preacher doesn't come along. A Caruso who introduces them to Jesus and persuades them to Jesus. How will they hear without a preacher? I was in Thailand in 2016 with my daughter Judith. We were in Bangkok uh, just for a day, and we went to the holiest temple in all of what's called Thai Buddhism. Buddhism's just kind of a little bit segregated based on the geographic place that it's in. And Thai Buddhism is a very, very sacred, it's very, very sacred to Thai Buddhism. And, and our tour guide's taking us through the temple, and it was interesting and concerning both at the same time. And, and she takes us up the back way, and we go up these stairs, and, and she takes us to this one spot where all of the kings have been, been entombed, and, and some special altars are there. And, and she looked at us, and she said these words to us. She said, this is our most favorite place in all of Thailand. And these were her words, direct quote, this is our heaven. I looked right at her and I said, can you say that again? She smiled. She said, yes, Mr. Chris, this is our heaven. We left there and got back into the van that they were taking us after that to the airport to fly to Cambodia after that. And Judith and I were sitting in the van, and I began to share with this young uh, tour guide who spoke broken English. She spoke really good English about the, the, the temple and the interesting sites that we saw, but concepts and, and things outside of her purview she struggled with. And I began to share with her the love of Jesus Christ. And I began to tell her about the glorious heaven that is far greater than anything in Bangkok, no matter how beautiful Bangkok is, far greater than anything in Bangkok, far greater than anything on this wor- in this world. And I began to share with her how that there's a God in heaven who loved us so much that he sent his son to die for the sin of mankind. And he not only will give you eternal life, he'll 
deal with your guilt. He'll deal with your pain. He'll deal with your sorrow. He'll deal with your suffering. He'll help you through the most difficult times. He's a peace that passes understanding. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's a companion to whom there is no end. He's a love to which there is no bound. He is a grace to which there is no floor. He's the greatest thing your mind could ever imagine and 10,000 times greater. He is the Son of God. But if I didn't share the gospel with her, I'm going to tell you right now, she'd have never heard it. She'd have never heard it. Why? Because you can't hear without a preacher. You can't hear without a preacher. And then there's a question of a corporate nature. We had three personal questions. We have a question of a corporate nature, verse number 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? Now, the church, many of you said, oh, I'm going to go to Canyon Ridge Baptist Church today. The church is not this building. The church is a place that we gather. There's a big, that's not a distinction without a difference, so preachers have a point of, of something to talk about. The church is not a building. The church is a place that we gather. Long before we had this building, we were a church. The church is not a building. You, you can't drive by this property if nobody's here and go, oh, there's my church. No, no, no. It's the building that we meet in. Church isn't a building. The church is a body of people who've collectively come together to worship and praise the Lord, further the gospel here in San Diego and all over the world. And we have a common agenda and a common thing to reprove, rebuke, exhort one another through fellowship, through singing, through preaching, uh, through connection. The church, if I could say it this way, is us. Well, the church is us. Some people say, I miss church, I miss the... No, 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 you missed us. Lynn said it right this morning. Welcome to the gathering of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. Why? Because, because when you walk out these doors, if you're a member here, you don't cease to be a part of the church. We're doing exactly what the Bible commands us to do in verse number 15, and that is we're sending you out into a lost and dying world that needs, desperately needs to hear the gospel. How shall they preach except they be sent? See, I have a responsibility as the shepherd of this gathering to make sure that you understand that when you leave, you're not leaving for the sole purpose of just living your life. You're leaving with the responsibility of being a K. Russo in the life that you live. Wherever it is that you work, live, work out, hang out, you're, co you're called to be a preacher of the gospel. And it's my responsibility not to make this place so cool and comfortable that you're like, man, I just can't wait to get there, though we want you to come. But we want you to gather if we meet outside in the rain. Because the church is a gathering, not a location. And when you leave today, you're, a, you're part of the church going into a lost and dying world Listen to me, that needs the gospel. 
That's why Zane said to you earlier, hey, we've got some flyers in the back under the Share Jesus this week or today uh, signs, and you need to grab some of those. And, and we've got uh, flyers for teenagers and Spanish translated flyers and flyers for people who only speak English. We've got all the above so that when you go into a lost and dying world, that you're able to give people something, but the real message comes from your life, your actions, and your words to them. You're sent. And I said, you're sent. Somebody might say, well, pastor, I don't know. I don't really know how to share the gospel. Do you know your story? Do you know what Jesus did in your life? Do you know the transformation Jesus made in your life? Now, you say, well, well, yeah, but I'd like to know more. Great. We have an event, what we call an evangelism weekend are coming. Some people in our church know really well how to lead people to Christ, show them from the Bible that they're a sinner, they need a Savior, and, 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 and trusting in Jesus. That's great. We want everybody to know that. So twice a year, every year, we have a weekend, a Saturday and part of a Sunday, where we just talk about getting the gospel into people and training people and talking to people how to share their faith. You need to be a part of that. Some of you need to be a part of identifying whether they really do know the gospel. Because some people say things like this. Well, they said they're a Christian. They must be good. C.S. Lewis said back in the 1930s that the word Christian has become so watered down that it means absolutely nothing at all. That's back in the 30s. That's 90 years ago. It hasn't gotten any better. The church is supposed to be Sent. That word sent literally means in verse number 15, to send forth or to thrust as a sickle among corn. I'm not a farmer. My brother-in-law grew up a farmer, Charlie Hughes in the back. He, he grew up a farmer. I'm not a farmer. Some of you grew up on farms. But this is what I do know, that if it's harvest season in that culture and you have a sickle, and, and there was a few times that my dad made me use a sickle because I complained about our lawnmower, no lie. My dad was ingenious at giving me calluses. And this is what I learned about a sickle, that wherever there is something to be cut down, if you have a sickle, you cut it down. The idea of that is this, that wherever somebody needs the gospel, you're sent to them if you're a believer. Did you hear me? That wherever somebody needs the gospel, and you know it, if you're a believer, you're sent to them. You're commissioned from Canyon Ridge Baptist Church to go to them. You're commissioned to go to them by faith. How shall they preach except they be sent? If you don't go to them, then the gospel will remain silent and they will live their entire life and die without hearing the gospel. If you don't talk to them, you're sent. No, I said, you're sent. Like as a church body. When Debbie and I moved here 20 plus years ago, September 21st of 2022 was our 20th anniversary of living in San Diego. And, and when, when we moved here, we had this idea, and it's always been our idea, that we would uh, be a part of a church and, and lead a church body together that goes into a lost and dying world and regularly shares the gospel. 
which is why we have evangelism weekenders. It's why we have all church outreach. I love the attendance at our all church outreach yesterday. I know not everybody was able to come, but man, if you did, what a great day we had as literally thousands of people had opportunity to hear the gospel. You say, Pastor, did thousands of people come to Christ? I don't know how many people came to Christ. And truly, it's not even my responsibility to force them to come to Christ. I can't make them do that. But my, uh, my responsibility is to go to them and to share the gospel. We're called. And then I want you to notice the second part of verse number 15. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Not only is the gospel silent, but Paul helps us understand the saturation of the gospel. How we get the gospel into a lost and dying world is if we take it. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Now, Paul is, is quoting Isaiah chapter 52, verse number 7, that says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publisheth peace, that bringeth forth tiding, good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. Now, a little bit of background about this verse in Isaiah, so leave that up for a second if you would. Um, it was written in celebration of Israel's deliverance from years of captivity and bondage, first from the Assyrians and then from the Babylonians. And Isaiah is writing that to, to praise God and to help the people to understand that this is a wonderful thing and that God has brought salvation. But for Paul's purpose, and even for a greater, as one commentator said, fitness of that verse is seen in Isaiah's subsequent declaration of a future day. And he says it in verse number 10, that all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of God. And Paul is talking about how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Beautiful, just lovely, graceful, beautiful feet. Not beautiful feet physically, but beautiful because of the message that they bring. They bring a message of hope and a message of grace and a message of truth. And they bring this, our text says, a gospel of peace, a state of being at peace with God. And it's, it's, it's a good news of peace. Somebody who shares the gospel, somebody who goes to a person in need is preaching a gospel of peace. This word preach is different from the word we uh, looked at earlier in uh, verse number 14, the word keruso. This is a different word. This word means uh, to announce an important message or to preach good news. How beautiful are the feet of them that, that bring the good news of peace with God. You see, before you come to Christ, you are literally, the Bible says, an enemy of God. An enemy of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 7, because the carnal mind is enmity or the enemy against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14 says, The natural man receiveth not the things of God, things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, because they are spiritually discerned. 
And I've talked to people, they're like, I was never the enemy of God. I've always loved God. I've always loved God. I've always loved God. Well, until you repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me say it this way, then God's your enemy. Then God is your enemy. Well, you can't say that. God is love. God is love, but God is also judgment. And God is truth. All truth is God's truth. And if you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Romans chapter 8, verse number 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you are the enemy of God. But God says you don't have to stay that way. My son came and died for you, and he wants to reconcile you to God, and he wants to bring peace into your life. First, peace with God. Peace with God. God, God literally sent Jesus so that your life could be restored to him as it was originally intended at creation before the fall, which is really what salvation is. It's a restoration of where your life would have been had there never been sin in the world, had there been only, only purity, and, and had there been innocence, and had we been naive to the, to the ways and the wiles of the devil. Salvation brings us back to that place. And we're to be preachers and to go into the world and saturate the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of peace. Jesus said it this way before he died. He said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Don't even let your heart be afraid because the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ, has come. The giver of peace. Some of your lives are, are just so tumultuous on the inside and torn up on the inside. And, and, and there's a constant battle that is going on and a constant anxiety that is going on. I, I, and I get that, I understand it, but can I encourage you this morning with this reality that that is not a spirit from Jesus. Jesus is the giver and lover and conveyor of peace. And then he says in verse number 15, and bring glad tidings of good things. Just means to announce or convey a message of encouraging news that is pleasing and useful. Everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ is pleasing and useful. You say, Pastor, if I tell somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have to let them know they're sinners. Dear friends, I would submit to you that most people already know. Most people already know there's something going on, there's something wrong. There's a hole in their heart that only Jesus can fill. It's a, it's a Jesus-shaped heart. Nothing else will fill it. They might try to fill it, but only Jesus can fill it. They might try to earn money or gain power or go clubbing or, or, or do drugs or smoke weed or take trips or, or have a new marriage or try this new hobby or try this new stretch in yoga. And this will fill me. No, no, only Jesus can fill the void because there's a void that was created when man fell from God. And that void can only be filled as Jesus Christ comes into your life. We live in a world that is in desperate need of the gospel. The gospel is simple. 
But if you don't share it, the gospel will remain silent. And God wants you to be part of saturating the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. On February 12th, our church will determine financially what we will give by faith for the cause of missions all over the world. Each person will determine what they'll do financially so that people in San Diego and in California and all over the the globe can hear the gospel so that we can send missionaries into a, a world in need of the gospel. And I'm pumped about it. Famed 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon one time said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Meaning this, the moment you got saved, you became a missionary. God, God expects, desires, enables, and empowers you to be able to take the gospel and share it with somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And, and you say, well, pastor, I, I just, I don't feel like I'm a missionary. If you're a believer, you're a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're supposed to be a teller of Jesus. If you've been saved, you're supposed to share. Found people, find people. Save people, serve people. Loved people, love people. Doesn't matter where you're at. If you're saved, you're called to be a missionary. And if you're not, you're an imposter. Eleven weeks away, we're going to determine financially what we'll do for the cause of missions. Some people go, well, okay, I'll pray, and I'll give money. But before you give money, God's called you to give your life. When's the last time you tried to share the gospel with somebody? I love it when you invite people to church. Don't get me wrong. If you're a guest here today, I'm pumped that you're here. Come back next time. Matter of fact, come back so much that it just becomes your church. All right? But Canyon Ridge, when was the last time you shared the gospel? Now, if you're a newer believer and all you know is to invite people to church, I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but praise God for that. But have you been saved for more than like a year? When's the last time you told your story? With somebody that didn't know Jesus. Oh, Pastor, I'd be, oh, I'm just so, I'm so intimidated by that. To tell people you were eternally, I get it, but think about it. To tell people that you were eternally damned for hell and now you're on your way to heaven and that Jesus changes everything. Bro, I do CrossFit. And within 30 seconds of meeting someone who does CrossFit, we got a bunch of CrossFitters in here, they tell you. 
People are like, we think that. No, I love it. You don't even have to tell me. I can look at your, pretty much at your body and your shoes and go, oh, where do you work out at? Oh, I work over here at CrossFit over here or CrossFit over here, CrossFit over here. I, I saw somebody the other day. I'm like, hey, you've got the Nano 11s on. What, what gym do you work out at? Oh, CrossFit so-and-so up in a different city here in the city. Hey, let's, let's, if you do CrossFit because it changed your life, you have no problem doing it. Those of you that destroy your life by only eating vegetables, you destroy all muscle tone in your body. You're like, oh, I'm a vegetarian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When your bones break, just getting out of bed in the morning, not my fault. Come to CrossFit and um, eat red meat. But you, you ever meet people, they get on those crazy diets, and within 15 seconds of meeting them, they're like, oh, I'm on the donut, bri- donut diet, bro. It's amazing. Or I only eat celery. It's all that I've eaten celery every meal for nine years, and let me tell you, it changed my life as they're on their deathbed and whatever. I'm kidding. But, but you, you know the point that I'm trying to make. People that something's really important to you, they can't help but talk about it. Could it be that the reason you haven't shared the gospel personally with anyone It's because it's just not that important to you. Somebody lied to you at some point and said, there's two things we don't talk about, religion and politics. You don't want to talk about politics? Couldn't care less. Fine. But Jesus has not called you to talk about religion. He's called you to talk about a relationship with him that changes everything in everyone's life. When's the last time you shared the gospel? When's the last time you tried I think most Christians, if you're being honest with me, I think most Christians look for ways out of it, like God prompts their heart, like, Chris, tell this guy Bo about Jesus. Tell this guy Bo about Jesus. Tell this guy Bo about Jesus. And we'll talk about everything in the world but Jesus. And then as we're leaving, we say something like this. Oh, by the way, I go to church. If you're not doing anything on Sunday, if, if you've got nothing else to do, and if you wake up, and, and if you're, you don't have any bunions, and, and if you've ate all the celery and donuts you can eat for the day, if you want, I mean, if, you, if there's nothing else in your life for you to do, maybe you could come to church with me. Bring up the definition of preacher again. I think it was after point number two. Kate Russo, an announcer of Christ as Messiah, one who urges the reception of the gospel. Now listen, I work out with a lot of people in this room. I don't care if I ever work out with anybody else in this room in a grand scheme of things. I love it. Don't get me wrong. If we work out together, I love it. But that's not that big a deal. Your eternal destiny is. And rather than like, hey, bro, maybe if you've got nothing else to do, You see the word, this is Jesus' definition, who urges the reception of the gospel. I've heard Christians lose their testimony over their favorite football team, and it doesn't mean, my dad would say, a hill of beans. I'm not sure what that means, but I think it's of no value. And then they're like, well, I... I don't want to offend anybody. You just lost your friend because you like the Dallas Cowboys. 
and the eternal destiny of their soul you don't want to lose that relationship with, a preacher, which we're all as believers called to be, is to urge the reception of the gospel. Hey, bro, why don't you come to church on Sunday with me? And by the way, this is what, this, well, I don't know exactly what it is. Let me tell you why I want you to come to church on Sunday. Well, because June 16, 1983, I accepted Christ as my Savior. I know you think I'm old, but I was only 10. So I've been a Christian most of my life. But let me tell you my dad's story. My dad grew up the son of an alcoholic. My dad's dad was, my dad's granddad was a farmer, rancher, alcoholic. My, my family, my dad's side of the family, in the great migration to the west from the south and the east, during the Second World War era, right before that, many of you know about the Great Migration, was coming out here. And my grandfather, they left Tennessee to come to California. And my grandfather got a job as a taxi driver in the little town of Borger, Texas. My grandfather was an abusive alcoholic like you can't imagine. He was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. Uh, many of you know the story, unfortunately. The horrible ravages of alcohol. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I want to throw it away. I want to drive my car through every liquor store, but I'm afraid they'll think I'm trying to steal it when I'm trying to destroy it. I, I hate it on every level. My family has had so much suffering because of alcohol. It's an evil of Satan. Amen. And it destroys families. It destroys lives. I despise it. My, my dad is the product of an alcoholic home. My grandfather got kicked out of the house by my dad's older brothers who, who wanted to kill him, literally. I mean, when you talk about redneck white trash, my family picture's there. And they, they kicked my grandfather out of the house. My dad got drank the first time when he was four years old got stone cold drunk the first time he was nine years old, and was a full-fledged alcoholic by the time he was 17. He joined the army as a 17-year-old kid, and he became a tanker, and he was a great soldier, but he was a horrible drunk. He ends up meeting my mom at Fort Lewis up in Tacoma, Washington, and they end up getting married, and they move to Colorado Springs where my dad's working a job, and my dad's still a drunk. Marriage is on the rocks. I mean, literally, the marriage is almost over. My mom's trying to figure out what to do. My dad's trying to figure out where to send her. So they, they make a life-changing decision, and they move back to Borger, Texas. Well, in the interim here, my Uncle Dale, who's uh, much older than my dad and kind of a father figure to my dad. My uncle Dale becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. Dale begins to share his story with my dad, whose name is Gerald. Dale begins to share his story with my dad, and D Dale just tells Gerald over and over again, Gerald, you need to come to Christ. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. Gerald, you need to come to Christ. Let me tell you how Jesus changed my life. And my dad was never disrespectful, but he never accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But my uncle was a K. Russo, and he just kept announcing Christ as Messiah, and he just kept encouraging his younger brother to come to Jesus Christ. He didn't stop because Gerald said no. He didn't stop because Gerald didn't listen. He kept loving and sharing and 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 loving and sharing. And that's all that he kept doing over and over and over again. And finally one night, my Uncle Dale said to my dad, he said, hey, Gerald, why don't you come to church tonight? Tommy Phelps is going to be speaking. Now, I don't expect anybody in the room to know Tommy Phelps, but Tommy Phelps back in the day was a world champion fake wrestler, fake wrestler, like WWE, 
Some of you just found out that's fake. It's not real. You can't jump on a dude's forehead off the top ropes and there not be major problems with that. I know some of you are going to go home and cry like, I thought this was real my entire life. No, no, no. You can't hit somebody over the head repeatedly with a folding chair and then get up and beat you up. That just doesn't work that way. We tried it on our church staff one time. I can tell you from experience, Bernie passed out. And Tommy Phelps was a, 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 in the Texas region was a well-known wrestler, popular. Tommy Phelps came to Jesus Christ. God called him into evangelism, and he's preaching at the little East Side Baptist Church in Borger, Texas. My dad didn't go the first night of the revival, but he goes the second night of the revival, and Tommy Phelps is up there preaching. My dad feels the prompting and the conviction of the Spirit of God in his life, and God begins to tell him to accept him and inspect us more and come to Jesus and all of those thoughts that some of you are having right now, and my dad had all of those, and at the end of the service during what they used to call the invitation time, my dad stands up out of the pew that he's, that rickety old wood pew at Eastside Baptist, and he stands up, and he walks down the aisle, and he gets gloriously saved. And my dad goes home and he tells my mom Arlene about it. it. Wasn't too many years after that Arlene gets saved and my sister Gloria gets saved. I got saved. My brother got saved. Our family's saved. Our family was impacted by Dale's uh, work and Dale's K. Russo and Dale's urging of the gospel. And, and, and then my uncle uh, David got saved and, and my uncle Jamie got saved. My uncle Bo got saved and my aunt Dortha got saved and her husband and my aunt Karen got saved and my uncle John and my grandma gave her life to Christ and, and my uncle Bill, my mom's brother got saved and, 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 and my aunt Susie, my mom's sister got saved. She's been here many times. We're still praying for my aunt Lisa, uh, witness to my grandmother, my, my, my mom's dad, my uncle, my grandpa Hartman, he got saved. Many of you have been impacted by the, the ministry uh, uh, that Debbie and I got to let us to start here. You've been saved here at Canyon Ridge. You say, well, where did it all start? Well, I don't know where it all started, but I'm telling you from my family, it started with Dale Chadwick in the 1960s urging his younger brother to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and not take a no for an answer and to keep sharing and sharing and sharing and not getting mad and not giving up and not getting angry and not getting defeated, but just keep inviting and praying and sharing and inviting and praying and sharing and inviting and praying and sharing and doing it in a nice way and not being caustic and living Jesus before him. And it wasn't too long after he started witnessing that Gerald Chadwick came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then now some 60 something years later, there's 300 people on a Sunday morning in a church that loses 50% of its population every single year to all over the world where people are getting saved and baptized. And there's churches all over the country affected with the gospel of Jesus Christ because one young construction worker didn't let his brother go without being urged to the gospel. And he got saved and Dale's sons got saved and Dale's son became a pastor and he preaches all over the place and people are being affected. Why? Because one young, small, West Texas, bald dude with an accent would not allow people to walk away without being urged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is something you should thank the Lord for. And that's just my story. And that's just part of my story. Time doesn't allow. 
to talk about the Bennett family, Panama City, Florida, whose dad's been a lay pastor for years, and they got like 37 kids, or seven, and they're living for the Lord. And now Callie Bennett married Zane Garza, and they're working in the youth ministry here at Canyon Ridge, seeing young people saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because somewhere down the line, decades ago, somebody shared the gospel with her grandfather. And her grandfather came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then all of her uncles came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And now there's kids. And, and, and I, I mean, we could just go on. The Lund family, whose Bernie's grandfather was a pastor. And all of Bernie's uncles are saved and serving in ministry. Bernie's dad served in ministry as leader. He was a medical doctor in the Navy. Then became a medical doctor in Amarillo, Texas. And, and Bernie is now serving the Lord faithfully here at King. I could tell you the story of my mother-in-law who heard a friend, a friend invited her to a Bible study, like Wednesday night community Bible study, just invited her to come. And my mother-in-law was an atheist and said, I won't go to church, but I'll go to a Bible study. She said, great, keep coming. And it wasn't too long after that, that my mother-in-law got her questions answered 46 years ago and accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. And then my father-in-law came to Christ and my wife came to Christ and my sister-in-law came to Christ. And my daughters have come to Christ. I'm just, I'm just wanting you to understand something. If you follow God's plan, the world will be saturated with the gospel. And it could it be that the reason more people you know aren't saved is because we're not faithful to take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And we take no as the first and final answer as opposed to Russoing it out and keep urging and praying and pleading with people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. How shall they hear without a preacher? There's people in your life God wants you to witness to. There's kids at your school God wants you to witness to. Teenagers should be leading kids to school, uh, to Christ. Matter of fact, you ought to be a rebel at your public school. Be righteous and share Jesus. If they can give bathrooms to anybody, they ought to give Bibles to everybody. You say, well, that. What will they look at? I'm not so much worried about how he looks at me. I'm worried about how he looks at me. I could go on. I didn't really feel preaching coming on to me until about 10 minutes ago. But I've got to end because of the sake of time. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, I can't encourage you enough to get your questions answered and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here today, there's no doubt in my mind at all because you're still on this earth. There's people that God has left you here to witness and share your faith with. Do so. Do it today. Commit today. I'm going to start praying and I'm going to start urging and I'm going to start pleading with people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And, and if I can talk to them about my work, if I can talk to them about where I work out, if I can talk to them about my diet, I'm going to talk to them about my Jesus who changes everything because Jesus changes everything. Say that to somebody right now. Jesus changes everything. Do a better job at it. Jesus changes everything. Come on, you're not there yet. Look at somebody and tell them Jesus changes everything. He changed everything about everything that's ever been because Jesus changes everything. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., 
and 5 p.m.